1: AT&T Fiber, live like a beginner Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig with details.
2: You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. Guess what, Gabe? What's that, Mango?
0: So have you ever noticed that Ben and Jerry's flavors are really chunky? Like they always have big pieces of banana or pretzels or chocolate in them?
3: Yeah, I mean, they do make Chunky Monkey, right? So at least that better be pretty chunky. (laughs) So when I was
0: younger, I was always kind of thrown off by that style of ice cream. And I I was kind of curious how they developed it. And apparently it's all because of Ben from Ben & Jerry's. According to their site, he has anosmia, meaning he doesn't have a great sense of smell. And he barely has a sense of taste, too. So for him, like his love of ice cream is mostly textural. Like, he loves the creamy mouthfeel. He likes those, like, big, delicious, crunchy treats that are mixed in. And so that's how they came up with it. And over the years, fans fell in love with that consistency, too. But that's just the first of nine facts we're dishing out today about ice cream. Let's dive in. Hey there, podcast listeners. I'm Mungo Shatekula and my co-host, Will Pearson, is out today sunning himself at the beach. But don't worry, I've got our research superstar, Gabe Luzier, with us on the line. Hey, Gabe. Hey, thanks for having me on. Yeah, of course. And uh, we also have, sitting behind that soundproof glass, wearing his Mr. Softy t-shirt, or as they call it in China, Mr. Softheart, apparently. There's no word for softy in, uh, in China. That's our friend and uh, producer, Tristan McNeil. So, Gabe, I I, I know we're doing an episode on ice cream today. Are you an ice cream guy? Like, do you have a go-to flavor?
3: I am definitely an ice cream guy, um, like all good-hearted people. (laughs) (laughs) And American people. (laughs) Yeah, like all good-hearted Americans. Um, No, yeah, my uh, favorite flavor is probably cookies and cream. Um, Uh I could go for just about anything except chocolate. not a chocolate guy.
0: Really? I I wouldn't have guessed that. I am uh, mostly a mint chocolate chip guy. Uh, though I'll eat most flavors. And I'm actually not sure if I've told you this, but my grandfather actually had an ice cream factory in India. He oh, no way. Uh, Yeah, he had to drop out of college because his parents passed away. And then he did this uh, correspondence course on electricity by mail, like from the States. And uh, it was like a tech school from America or something. And, and he taught himself to wire things. And he ended up building like a little ice factory and then he branched out into ice cream too. And it was called Himalaya ice cream. But that was awesome. I know. I mean, uh, my cousins got to enjoy it, but it was all gone by the time I was a kid. Uh, uh-huh. But the most amazing thing to me was that when he used to come to the States, he was confused by the way Americans eat ice cream because we eat it all year round. But um, <laughs> we sure do. In India, they only have it during the summers and during the monsoons when it's super cold, they won't eat ice cream. It's, it's just... uh cultural or something. But uh, I kick this off with a Ben and Jerry's fact. So
3: what do you have for us? Well, I just read about this amazing ice cream from Spain called chameleon. <laughs> so I'm already intrigued. What flavor is chameleon? <laughs> well, thankfully, it's not chameleon, but it, it's basically <laughs> this Willy Wonka style ice cream where like the color changes as you lick it. What? And that also changes the flavor too.
0: That's crazy. So it, it sounds amazing and like something from my dreams. But how come I haven't heard of this? Like, is it a new flavor?
3: Yeah, well, it's actually been around since 2014. It it was created by this uh, former physicist named Manuel Linares, who was pursuing the, a degree in, quote, creating artisan ice cream. What? <laughs> That's what the LA Times says, at least. I, I guess it's a major at this Spanish Culinary Institute. Huh. But, Anyway, I've only seen pictures of the ice cream, but it's really beautiful. Like at least one of the shades is it's this gorgeous, shimmery, purple and pink color. And it has a bunch of flavors that come through, too. There's a uh, strawberry, cocoa, almonds, banana, pistachio, vanilla and even caramel. What? <laughs> but the reason you haven't heard about it is that the inventor's still waiting for the patent to come through before, you know, it goes wide scale. And also, chameleon isn't his only flavor. He he has this other one he's working on. Uh, it's just for adults, though. It has uh, all these Peruvian and African herbs in it. And it's supposed to be an aphrodisiac.
0: <laughs> so I always think it's funny when people try to mix medicine into ice cream. Like, I actually pulled a fact about this. I, I saw this thing on Lifehacker where someone had made this Pepto-Bismol ice cream to deal with hangovers, which... Ugh. I know. To, to me, it just makes me nauseous thinking about it. But there's also a Korean version that sounds way better. Uh, apparently, like, hard drinking is such a common thing in South Korea that hangover cures are actually like a $125 million industry. It's wow. it's just insane to me. Yeah, but in, in that mix of, like, drugstore cures, there's actually an ice cream bar that's called... um Yandio Bar? I, I don't know how it's actually pronounced, but the name translates to hang in there, which is <laughs> so positive. But it's a, it's a grapefruit flavored ice cream bar with some special raisin juice in there too. It, it supposedly oh. works wonders. And uh, I mean, for me, like with or without a hangover, I'd be down to try like a grapefruit and vanilla ice cream. But oh, totally. uh, what, uh, what, what do you have next?
3: Well, how about a fact about astronauts? Um, and this isn't about astronaut ice cream, you know, that, that freeze-dried monstrosity that they try to trick you into <laughs> eating at planetariums. <laughs> no, this is, this is about the real ice cream that astronauts occasionally get to try on missions.
0: That's really funny. You know, I I wanted to start this thing where uh, we would serve astronaut sundays, where it's just uh, those astronaut ice creams crumpled up with some chocolate sauce on top of it, like and whipped cream. <laughs> <or>, There's still <laughs> time. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like that would do really well on Instagram. But uh, so I, I thought astronauts used to complain about like missing ice cream in space. Like I, I didn't realize it was actually a thing that it, that they get to eat.
3: Yeah, they do. And I mean for years NASA had uh this list of the top 3 foods that their astronauts miss the most in space and it, you know it was uh fizzy drinks, pizza and ice cream. But uh Atlas Obscura did this story and apparently every once in a while as a special treat astronauts now get real ice cream and it, it's sent to them at the International Space Station and huh. I was curious, you know, why is it such a big deal? And, and you know, the reason to have ice cream in space, like, why isn't it allowed? And and actually, the reason is you need freezer space to store the ice cream. And, you know, because astronauts are using this limited freezer space on board, they, you know, they have to make room for blood and urine samples and, I don't know, other experimental stuff. Huh. and. It's just hard to, you know, save room for ice cream. But now there's a, now there's a workaround. And, and that's because uh, when shipments and supplies are sent up to the space station, people will now, you know, often sneak a few pints of ice cream into those containers for the astronauts. And, but here's the catch you know, because there is no freezer space, they have to eat the ice cream pretty quickly upon delivery. So, you know, what ends up happening is, uh, you know, they throw these little zero gravity ice cream parties whenever the ice cream comes up.
0: Oh, that's amazing. I kind of love that. So uh, um, here's something that's a little less joyous, but still funny to me. So I, I was looking at this book, The Victorian City, which is about everyday life in Dickensian London. And in the 1850s, Ice cream was obviously like a big luxury, and kids could buy little tastes of ice cream and these Neapolitan ices from street vendors. But what's funny is that apparently some of these folks started uh, um, selling fraudulent ice cream to kids. Instead of uh, serving up ice cream, it was common for people to serve you like scoops of mashed turnips instead. (laughs)
3: Oh, that'd be so, <laughs> be so disappointing! Like you just took a spoonful of ice cream on a hot day, and it just turned out to be mashed up with your turnips.
0: I know it. It always feels like some parents' idea to like trick kids into eating veggies. But the strange thing is that people still use that trick today. Like mashed potatoes are often used as a stand-in for ice cream on film sets because ice cream is so melty.
3: Oh yeah, that's funny. I I love those food hacks. Like. You know how people, uh, you know, you use glue as a stand in for cereal milk on sets. And, huh. you know, that's because it looks better on film. And, you, you know, you can position the cereal wherever you want it without worrying about it, you know, floating away. Huh. But speaking of dripping ice cream, uh, that's actually another thing scientists have now fixed.
0: So I, I love that there are so many problems in the world, but the one we're fixed on focusing is like melty ice cream. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. It really shows you where our priorities lie. <laughs> But uh, apparently this has been in the works for a while now. Uh, a few years ago, British scientists figured out a way to slow down the melting process a little bit by uh, adding this uh, special protein that binds the air and fat and water together. And then Japanese scientists took it and they figured out a different way of doing this. They, they actually used a liquid extract from strawberries that stopped the water and oils from separating. So, you know, what you got were these ice cream and popsicle treats that could last three hours at a time and 80 degree heat and all while still retaining their shape. Wow. It's, yeah, it's pretty amazing. And the ice cream isn't that expensive either. That's probably the most amazing part. It's it's actually only about $4 a pop.
0: That's that's really incredible. I am I, curious what the texture of it is like, though.
3: Yeah. Food and Wine reported that the the Japanese weren't the only ones making these advances. Like, there's a grocery store in Australia that has their own technique. Uh, they haven't revealed what it is, but they churn out ice cream sandwiches that won't melt in the Australian sun.
0: That, that's pretty crazy. So I, I guess we'll have a whole variety of uh, different non-melty uh, ice creams to try in the future. But it is kind of weird to think that, like, kids in the future might not get ice cream headaches because they can eat a cone as slowly as they want. Or, like, they'll never have sticky hands from ice cream dripping all over them. And, and you know, you and I will be telling our grandkids these stories like they're war stories. (laughs) uh, So I I knew uh, Clint Eastwood was mayor of this beautiful town of Carmel in California, but I I didn't know that ice cream was actually one of the first measures he brought up at his first city council meeting. And at the time, there had been some sort of uh, water shortage. And so the city refused to give an ice cream parlor a license on their main strip. And Clint Eastwood's campaign was actually on getting rid of this killjoy mentality and bringing back these street corners where kids could happily eat ice cream again. I mean, this is what he remembered from his youth and what he wanted to bring back. But he also reinstituted the Pledge of Allegiance before every meeting, which feels very Clint Eastwood. And the article also pointed out, though, that – He voted to ban beachfront fireworks on July 4th, which sounds a little antithetical to those other two things.
3: Yeah, so much for getting rid of the killjoy mentality. Wow. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Well, I know we've got two more ice cream facts to share.
1: But before we do, let's take a quick break. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward, inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details.
4: Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you.
0: Welcome back to Part-Time Genius. So, Gabe, do you know what the grossest ice cream flavor served at a state dinner has to be?
3: <laughs> no. Uh, what's that? Oyster.
0: It was oyster-flavored ice cream. Uh. <laughs> so, Jake Rossen and uh, Metal Floss did this story on the history of ice cream in America, and Dolly Madison, who was, you know, by all accounts, the greatest host or hostess in uh, in Washington, D.C., used to serve oyster ice cream to guests who were totally wowed by it.
3: Oh, wow. I'm kind of surprised people kept coming to these parties after that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I know. But actually, the other thing I learned from the piece was that George Washington was really the person who made serving ice cream at state dinners a thing. Like, he had a 300-piece machine to make and serve ice cream in his kitchen. And it sort of became the ultimate sign of luxury if you could serve ice cream at your dinners because it was just such an effort to make. And that's kind of what kicked off America's obsession with it. So... I don't know. I I think that's my last fact. But
3: how do you want to end this? Well, how about with a really quick fact? So, you know, Rupert Grint, right? Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, he, he played Ron Weasley in the Harry Potter movies.
3: Oh, yeah, exactly. And, you know, he grew up making those movies. So when he passed his driving exam, he was already worth a lot of money by then. And, you know, so one day people on set were talking about, you know, what sorts of fancy cars they were thinking about buying with all their HP money and for some reason, <laughs> Rupert's dream was to own an ice cream truck. And huh. so, you know, he got one. And the first time he took it out for a spin, he actually he went to a pub. And when he was leaving, all these kids came up to him trying to buy ice cream. And the problem was he hadn't bothered to stock any in the truck, which is just like the world's biggest tease. right like, <laughs> know. Tooling around in an ice cream truck with zero ice cream on board. Like, what did you think would happen? But. Anyway, he sort of learned his lesson after that, and now he keeps the van stocked with tons of popsicles, and there's even a working soft serve machine on board, and so sometimes he just drives around to villages and gives out free ice cream to kids. It's it's pretty awesome, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's great. I mean, it it is funny. I, I told a story about people tricking kids with mashed turnips instead of ice cream, and you told a story about Ron Weasley magically delivering ice cream to village kids in his spare time, so I I do think you have to take home the trophy today.
3: Well, thank you so much. I, I think I know just how I'll be celebrating.
0: <laughs> well, that's it for today's nine things. We'll be back with a full length episode tomorrow, but thank you so much for listening.
3: Thanks again for listening. Part-Time Genius is a production of How Stuff Works and wouldn't be possible without several brilliant people who do the important things we couldn't even begin to understand.
0: Tristan McNeil does the editing thing.
3: Noel Brown made the theme song and does the mixy-mixy sound thing.
0: (laughs) Jerry Rowland does the exact producer thing.